If you're grateful for the grace of God tonight, say amen. amen. What a beautiful song and uh, challenges us to consider our great Savior, Jesus Christ. I do want to ask you to take your Bibles tonight and let's go to Luke chapter 15, please. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be spending our time in the scriptures tonight. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, I do just want to say I have enjoyed uh, hearing you sing. Uh, you have done a great job this morning in chapel and even uh, again this evening and uh, appreciate uh, your good singing with enthusiasm and uh, I hope that that will continue as you go throughout the school year and uh, it will not only continue but that it will grow and uh, it will just get better. Two things you're probably wondering tonight, I'll answer one of them. You're wondering first of all, how in the world did he get the nickname Shorty? Well, Tune in later and I'll tell you. The other thing that you're probably wondering is, why in the world is his face always red? Well, I tell folks, I'm just embarrassed to be me, and so I'm red all the time, okay? Uh, And so, uh, no, my face, it is normally just red. Had a couple of people, you know, uh, who who normally uh, ask that uh, when we are at meetings and services. And so, um, in case you were wondering, I just figured I would throw that out there for you, okay? And uh, I, uh, that, so I'll try to, you know, continue to give you something. If I can't think of anything else the rest of, you know, the week, I'll let you know why I have the nickname Shorty. But the other thing that you may be wondering, I'll give you two pieces of information out of three. Uh, You're wondering... Who in the world is that guy's family? Dr. Marriott talked about his wife, Jennifer, who graduated in 99. Is she even here? Yes, she's right back there. And uh, Jennifer, you want to wave or stand? Okay, that's my lovely wife back there. We've been married for 23 years. And she is, other than salvation, she is the greatest blessing God has provided for me in my life. Um, God provided the woman that I needed to be able to be able to serve in the ministries that God has called uh, us to, and I use that word us on purpose, because wherever we were, it was not just my ministry, it was our ministry, and uh, I am so grateful uh, for her and her desire to serve the Lord. Uh, God blessed us with four children, and uh, our oldest is probably somewhere on the west eastern side of Ohio right now, getting ready to enter into Pennsylvania. She was here for the weekend to drop off her brother, and uh, she is now on her way back home, and she will be heading down to work at a camp in Virginia. She is the cook there. Her name is Megan, and uh, she was born in 2002 and uh, graduated from the Bible Institute two years ago, I think, last year. I don't remember when it was. Time flies. And then, uh, so that's Megan, and uh, then God has given us uh, our son. I call him my favorite son because he's the only one, and I can get away with it. And uh, that is Joseph. He's a freshman. Hey, Joe. And uh, he's over here, and uh, you'll, you'll maybe get to know him. And uh, then God has given to us two younger uh, girls as well. Uh, we have a new permitted driver in our house. She is 16. Her name is Caitlin. Hi, Kate. There you go. She is a junior uh, in high school, and uh, she, uh, as all of our kids, uh, have been at different times parts of our ministry, whether it is music or uh, working in children's ministries, uh, doing anything from cleaning toilets to washing dishes to serving food. They make sure they wash their hands in between that uh, at camp and uh, several other things at camp. And so uh, Caitlin was a lifeguard this year. And, uh, and then, let's see, our youngest is Lena. Not Elena, okay? So if you call her Elena and she looks at you funny, it's because there shouldn't be an A on there, okay? And uh, Lena, uh, she is 12, and she is going into the seventh grade, and uh, she's back there. Lena, you want to wave? 
There you go. Land is back there. And uh, so I figure I would get that out of the way uh, this evening as well, because tomorrow in chapel, um, you know, we're going to get right back to what we were discussing this morning. But tonight we are looking in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at a familiar passage of Scripture tonight. You know, you, when you come to a familiar passage of Scripture and you're comfortable with it, you've heard messages from it, uh, sometimes it takes a little bit uh, for us to be able to understand and to be able to see that God is using that perhaps to speak to our own lives. And I'm going to be sharing a message with you tonight that God used in my life to personally challenge me. And it comes from the familiar story that you and I know as the parable of the prodigal son. And so let's go to Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're going to begin reading at verse 11. And we're going to read down through verse 24. Luke chapter 15, begin reading at verse 11. The scripture reads this way. And a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring uh, hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. A few years ago, our family was out in South Dakota, and as we were there, we were invited by the pastor to go to a little town called Watertown, South Dakota. If you have been in Watertown, South Dakota, you know that it is perhaps the only thing that it is known for is that there is a museum there that is called the Terry Redlin Museum. Terry Redlin, for those of you who don't know, he was a famous artist in the 1990s, and his paintings that he would draw, he was known for painting outdoor themes and wildlife scenes. One critic of uh, Terry Redlin put it this way, Redlin is known best for his stunning artistic depiction of life as it actually happens. He could take a normal scene from the Midwestern states of, the, of America and he could paint it in such a vivid way that it was almost like you could step into the picture and you could see it. As we visited the museum that day, we saw many of his paintings and I was amazed at the lifelike scenes and the beautiful colors and, and how he portrayed them in many of those portraits that were there. But we came into a certain section of the museum that was separate from the other parts because there were eight paintings that were in that room that were in a series of pictures. 
And it was called, those eight series were called The America, the Beautiful Collection. And what Terry Redland did is he took those uh, different phrases from the first stanza of the song, America, the Beautiful, and he painted a scene from each of the phrases in that first stanza. Beautiful pictures. And uh, if you want to see them, kind of, you know, without going to the museum, you can actually pull them on lo- online, you can see them, but, but they don't do justice of actually seeing them in person. But as I walked down through and began to take a look at those pictures, you could just see the beauty of the, the verses, the different phrases in those verses coming out in the pictures. Now, as I'm talking about picture and art, I will tell you I am no art critic at all. In fact, pictures are not my thing, okay? I'm not good with a camera. I'm not good with paint. I'm not good with brushes. Stick figures are hard for me to draw and to make sense of. But what I would like to do tonight is this. I would like to share with you what I simply call the portrait of the prodigal. And as we walk through Luke chapter 15 tonight, what I'd like to do is I would like us to take some different pictures, some some things that are given to us, some truths that are given to us here in the scripture of this prodigal. And as we look into the portraits of this prodigal, I'm going to ask you to stand and look into that portrait as it is given to us by Jesus Christ in this parable. And I want us to stop and consider in which of these frames of this portrait or this gallery concerning the portrait of the prodigal am I in at this point in time in my life? It is said that a picture is worth a thousand words, and again, though I am no artist, I hope to be able to take the words that Jesus Christ uses and to be able to paint a few pictures for you to help us to understand that we are in one of these portraits tonight as we stand in our relationship before God. Frame number one that we're going to draw our attention to in the gallery where the portrait of the prodigal is, is given to us in verse 12. Let's read that verse again, at least the first part. It says, And the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. First frame that we're going to look at, we're going to entitle it this way. We see that he was selfish. This prodigal was selfish. He comes to his father and he simply says these two words. He could have stopped here. He could have said, Father give me. He was selfish. His only concern was, was about himself and his, and his desires. He had no concern for his family, especially his father. He had no real concern about his brother. We don't even know. I mean, there had to be a, a mom somewhere in the home, but he doesn't reference the mom and, and any consideration for the mom in the home that, that would have possibly been there still. But in that culture, when a father died, his his inheritance would have been divided to his sons with the oldest son getting a double portion. And it was perfectly legal for a son to come, whether the oldest or the youngest, it was legal for him to come and make the request to be able to receive the portion of his inheritance, but it definitely wasn't very loving, at least not in the fashion that this man did. Here's this boy who comes to his father, and he he says, Father, give me the portion of my inheritance. And the demand in which he asked this inheritance, basically this young man was walking up to his father and saying, Dad, I don't really care about you. You could be dead for all that that matters to me. I want your money. I want you to give it to me now. Give me my inheritance. Someone has humorously put it this way, feeling footloose, free, and frisky, a feather-brained fellow forced his fond father to fork over the family fortune, and he fled forth to frolic in a far foreign field. (laughs) It's kind of humorous, but where did all of that start? It started with a young man who had the habit in his life to be someone who was selfish. 
In short, this young man had become blinded by his own selfish desires that he demanded, and he had a demanding spirit to live life his own way. And as we stare into the frame and the picture that is given to us of this first portrait of a prodigal, I want you to realize that this idea of being selfish, it is not a problem that is unique to this prodigal son. It's really something that is present in all of us, and we see it as something that is recorded for us over and over again in the Scriptures. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and as we are going through that passage of Scripture, and we see that Satan is tempting and alluring Eve to eat of the fruit that God said, don't eat of it. She sees that it's it's a fruit that looks good, and it is to be desired. So what does she do? She takes it. And there is that selfishness that even Satan plays on to to be like God. There was a selfishness that was there. You go farther into Genesis chapter 13, and we come to a young man by the name of Lot. Boy, Lot had a blessed beginning, did he not? He had an uncle who was willing to take care of him, and, and as he was under his uncle's tutelage and under his care, God began to bless him. And if you're familiar with the story, Lot and Abraham, their herdsmen began to fight and feud as to where they were going to farm and who, where their uh, herds and cattle were going to be feed, fed excuse me, and watered. And, and as they are going through, they have this contention between the herdsmen, and, and Abraham takes Lot out and says, Lot, choose which one you want to have. If I understand it correctly, tradition, and it would have been appropriate at that time for him to defer to the elder and say, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity, but out of respect, I'm going to defer to you, and I'm going to allow you to choose first. But you know something? That thought never crosses Lot's mind. You know why? Because Lot was selfish. He began to look and consider what is best for me, what is going to most benefit my life, my desires, my plan, and there was no consultation from a wise uncle. There was no seeking counsel from others. He just chose to go his own way because he was selfish. There's another man in Genesis chapter 25. His name is Esau who comes in from the field, and he wants some porridge, and he's willing to give up his birthright. You know why? Because he was looking out for his selfish desires. He wanted something to eat, but then he had a a brother in the house who was just as selfish. His name is Jacob, and Jacob was someone who was very selfish. And boy, here, here is this evidence, and we're not even out of the book of Genesis yet, of people who evidence a selfish desire. We could go into the book of Joshua and we come across a man by the name of Achan who as the people of Israel went into Jericho and they were told not to take any of the spoil of the land for, their, for themselves, but it was all to go into the treasury of God, Achan. He saw the gold, he saw the silver, he saw the clothes that were there and he took them. Why? Because he was selfish. He wanted his own way. We're introduced to a character in the New Testament by the name of Judas who was willing to betray Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver, and out of selfishness, he betrays Jesus Christ. Get into 2 Timothy, and as Timothy is writing, or excuse me, as Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, as he refers to them, he says, I want to remind you about someone who used to travel with us, Timothy. Someone who used to be a, a servant who served with us. And his name is Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Young person, I want you to realize, and if you're not a young person in this room, you are an adult, and I want to remind myself as we go through this, all of us fall prey to the desires of selfishness. 
All of us have that temptation to go our own way. And the warning of Scripture in Proverbs is this, that we can decide to go our own way. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. It's going to lead you to destruction. I can't help but wonder if there are maybe some young people, maybe even some adults, who if we were going to be honest tonight, we would say, you want to know something? I definitely see myself in that first uh, portrait that we're looking at tonight. I see that selfishness. When I'm at home, I see that selfishness. Or I'm expecting my spouse or my kids, or I'm expecting my parents, or I'm expecting, you know, my siblings to serve me because I want what I want. You're going to have a bout with selfishness this year, for those of you who are in the dorm rooms. And you're going to have to choose whether you are going to be selfish and begin to go through this gallery of the portrait of a prodigal, or whether you're going to choose to be a servant. This young man comes to his father and he says, Father, give me. And so the scripture warns us about this this selfish desire that we all have to go our own way. In Psalm 119, verse 36, the psalmist says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness, the desire to have more, to get what I want. I just have to have what somebody else has. So he cautions us about covetousness in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. He says, let nothing be done through strife. And the idea there is selfish ambition. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. There's this competition that's there. Now, I love a good competition, but you want to know something? There's been a lot of competition that have torn apart friendships, that have torn apart families, that have torn apart a lot of people who are walking in relationship with God, but this bug of selfishness gets into us, and as a result, it begins to destroy us. It takes us down this path of the prodigal, and the very first thing that we see in this portrait of a prodigal in this gallery is we see that he was selfish. Lives, families, homes, churches, relationships, and testimonies have been destroyed because of selfishness. Can I share a testimony with you? Years ago when I was a teenager, I was working at a Christian camp, and as I was working there, uh, there was a week that uh, we were going through, and unbeknownst to us, we didn't really know that this was happening until the whole situation began to unravel, but uh, there was a young lady who came with a church group to this camp, and uh, from the very beginning, she, of the attendance of camp, she began to complain about the bed. She complained about the cabin. She complained about the food. She complained about the temperature. It's too hot. It's too cold. She just complained about everything, and she was miserable. For a little while, even as she was there, she tried to refuse to participate in the competitions, games, and events at camp. She would sit in the seat as the preacher was speaking, and she'd have her hands folded, and she'd just kind of sit there and check out the room. And and she didn't want anything to do with the preaching of God's Word. Well, about halfway through the week, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit from the preaching began to prick her heart. And there were only two days left before they were going home, and immediately... Uh, There was a phone call on, I believe it was Wednesday morning, there was a phone call that came in later Wednesday morning for this young lady. And uh, she was out doing something and uh, didn't normally allow phone calls, but as they were trying to track her down, uh, the, the people at the camp, they began to go and find the youth pastor and the counselor that was working with this young lady. Got all of those people together, the youth youth pastor, the young lady, uh, the counselor that was there, and they began to share with this young lady that her dad was out on the golf course that morning and he had a heart attack and died on the golf course. The girl began to weep. She began to cry, which you would assume is only natural because she just lost her dad. 
But what we didn't know and we didn't find out until a few weeks later was this young lady, shortly before she went to camp, just a few days, she wanted to go do something with her friends. And her dad told her no. She got so angry at her dad because she wanted her own way and she wanted to go and have fun that she looked at her dad and she began to yell at him, began to curse at him and began to swear at him. And final words that she spoke to her dad were, Daddy, I hate you. The only words that they could hear from that young lady's mouth as she was sobbing was this, I'm so sorry, Daddy, I'm so sorry, I'll never get to tell you I'm sorry. Here's a young lady who her selfishness caused her to say some things that damaged the relationship that she had with her father. Perhaps there were even some words that she said to her mother. Perhaps there were words out of her anger and animosity because she didn't get her own way that she even said that to some, she said some things to her siblings before she left. Now, she would have been able to see them when she got home, and they would have been there to help support her if she was at the funeral, but you want to know something? She'd never get to apologize to her dad for her selfishness. And I can't help but wonder if there's a young man or a young lady in this room or yourself, who your selfishness before you came to Maranatha Baptist University, perhaps some of you, to train for the ministry, your selfishness have less, has left some scars on the lives of people back home. Because you didn't get your own way. So instead of serving other people, you began to belittle them. You began to attack them. You began to use angry words, and you began maybe to even have some actions against them because your selfishness began to get the better of you. You want to know what's going to happen later on this semester is that selfishness is just going, as you continue to feed it, it's going to be something that's going to come out in your dorm room. It might even come out, for those of you who are playing sports, it might even come out as you're out on the athletic field with a bad attitude, yelling at the coach, yelling at the officials, yelling at teammates, because you didn't get your own way. And here is this prodigal, as we look at him in this first frame, he comes to his father and he lives by this motto, give me. Hey, I wonder if I were to talk to your parents, I were to talk to your siblings, if I were to talk to your friends back home, would they identify you? As someone who lives by those same two words, give me, because you're selfish. So we come to this passage of Scripture, and Jesus Christ begins to present this portrait of the prodigal. He shares with us that this young man starts off down a very dangerous path. You know where it starts? It starts with selfishness that often we tend to excuse in our own lives and blame other people for. We need to be aware that if we have that tendency of being selfish. We allow selfishness to come into our lives. We are beginning down the path of the prodigal. The second portrait, if we move on from that and we see this young man in that frame, we would see that he is called selfish. And right behind that would be his motto, give me. We move on to frame number two. And take a look at verse 13, if you would. It says this, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, I enjoy alliteration. And uh, so most of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you are alliterated because, first of all, it helps me to remember it. But second of all, I hope it helps you to remember it. And you can put down one of two words. My wife cautioned me about whether I ought to use the word that I'm going to give to you first. And then I'll give to you the second one, and it is this. I identify the prodigal. The second frame is this. He was stupid. Okay? 
Now, I know we're in a, an institution of higher learning and education, okay, and so that's not a common word. In fact, one of our daughters, our oldest daughter, when she was little, uh, she would walk up to people, complete strangers sometime, and uh, she would walk up to them. She would hear them use that word stupid, and she would walk up to them because we told her not to say that. She would walk up to them as a two- or three-year-old and say, don't say that word. It's a bad word. And so I hesitate to use that word because I've taught my children that. Don't say that word. It's a bad word. But we could also put this down. If you don't want to put the word stupid down, okay, put this word down. He was simple. You say, why in the world are you so hard on this guy? Why are you using that term stupid? The reason why I use that is this. You remember it said as we read that? He took everything that his father gave to him, and what did he do with it? He wasted it. He didn't use it in a wise fashion person by the name of Edwin Lewis Cole is credited for writing these words. He says, all sin is insanity. Satan is the most insane being of all because he still believes he can defeat God. Someone else has said this, sin is the greatest form of insanity. Under its influence, sin makes us do stupid and do stupid things. And I am here to tell you that I could give you multiple stories out of my own life and my own testimony where I look back on things that I said, things that I did out of my own selfishness, and now I look back on it and say, what in the world were you thinking? That was so stupid. And young person, the danger that you and I face when we get into selfish rages is that we don't understand the insanity, the simpleness, the stupidity of our actions. This is a very good description of this young man, though. He made some crazy choices. He wasted what was given to him, and he did nothing to deserve that inheritance and the wealth that was given to him. He received it simply because he was his father's son. Out of his selfishness, he demanded it from his father, and what did he do? He wasted it. He was reckless. He was careless in loose living. He was living with no thought of consequences, no thought of others, no thought of the future, no thought of tomorrow, and his foolish choices continued to rule his life. And in the matter of a short period of time, all that was given to him was gone. You know, as we understand in the Scriptures, there is a description of a fool that's given to us in Proverbs. We could say this, he was foolish, that Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 reminds us of this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why this young man took everything that he had and left to go into a far country is because he didn't want to hear from dad any instruction on how he ought to be using that money. Because in his selfishness, he would have thought, no one's going to tell me what to do, and he wasted those things. He, he despised wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 8, it says, The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. Proverbs 10 verse 21, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for, notice this, want, lack of wisdom. Proverbs 9 and verse 6, Forsake the way of the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding. Young person, please understand this. Selfishness, the sin of selfishness leads us to do stupid things. Cain and his anger, his anger wasn't really at his brother. Do you realize that? Here is Cain and Abel. They come and they offer these sacrifices to God. God shows respect to Abel's but not to Cain's. Who is he mad at? He's mad at God. 
Who does he take it out on? He takes it out on his brother and he kills him. Why? Because sin is insanity. It causes us to do crazy things. And not only that, but then God comes and wants to counsel him and he says, hey, uh, where's your brother? And you know what Cain does? Cain in his sin cops an attitude with God. Who do you think I am? My brother's keeper? I mean, back off, God. Wow. Sin makes us do foolish things. And maybe there are some young people here who this last summer as you were gone, you did some foolish things. And right now, you would say, you want to know something? It started off with selfishness. I wanted my own way. And I did some stupid things this summer that hurt a lot of other people. Lot, we'll come back to him. When Lot made that choice to go his own way and he pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah and then before you know that, we see him living in Sodom and Gomorrah and now he's not only living there, but he's in the gate. He's got this position of authority. Influence, but instead of him influencing others, he is influenced. And as you consider Lot as he is there in Sodom and Gomorrah, God sends the two angels in to take them out. You know what Lot does when the angels tell him, hey, get out of Dodge. There's going to be fire and brimstone that's coming. You know what Lot does? Read through that passage of Scripture and you'll read these words, Lot lingered. You know what sin does to us? It causes us to do things that are insane. It convinces us that we can continue to go on in our sin. And Lot lingered in Sodom and Gomorrah to the point where those angels had to take Lot and his wife and the two daughters and literally had to begin to pull them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know why? Because Lot was living the life of a fool. He made foolish choices. It caused Saul to lose his kingdom disobedience to God, and the scriptures are full of warnings not to make foolish choices, not to make those choices of wasting the things that God has given to us, wasting our time, our energy, our investment, the instructions, the counsel, the things that people have poured into our lives. You know, from all indications, it seems that this young man should have known better. I'm here to tell you, knowledge alone is not enough, young person. It's what we choose to do with that knowledge that leads us to make wise choices or foolish choices. What are you doing with your life? Are you living it for self and as a result you're making foolish choices? Maybe there's a young man that is here and you're making some foolish choices. You've made foolish choices and things that you've been looking at on the internet. You've been making foolish choices and things that you've been reading in a relationship that you're involved in right now. And you're making foolish, devastating choices. God would paint this picture for you tonight to help you understand where you are in this portrait of the prodigal. It starts off with selfishness, but our selfishness leads us to make some pretty foolish, simple, dare I even use again the word stupid, choices. Young person, God does not want us to waste our life on foolishness. Don't throw your life away. Don't throw your opportunity to be able to serve God away on foolish choices. Frame number three, as we continue to go on in this passage of Scripture, I draw your attention back to 14. Back in verse 14, it says this, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. We see, first of all, over here in frame number one, he was selfish. Frame number two, he was stupid. Frame number three, we see this, he was stripped. 
Did you see what happened there? In verse 14, it says, And when he had spent all, or when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. He had nothing left. He had been stripped from everything that, that he had taken from his father. This young man had experienced in his lifetime, he had experienced some things that, that were great that no other people had ever experienced because of what his father had blessed him with. But now, this young man was going to experience something he had never experienced before, and that is this. He had nothing. No place to lay his head at night. No comfortable bed to sleep in. Clothes that he had on, I can only imagine that they are rags because everything was gone. All means all, and that's all all means. All he had were the clothes that he had on, maybe the sandals that he had, and that was it. In fact, he had nothing left. His finances were gone. In verse 14, it says he spent all. He stripped of all the finances that he had. Even in verse 13, we find this, that his friends were gone. He had lived his life in riotous living. He had some friends. But you want to know something? All of it's gone now. Forgive me if you would for making an argument of assumption, but let's be honest, someone who is loose and free with money attracts a crowd. And so I'm sure as he went into this foreign, far country as a young man, there were people who knew how to pray on a young man like that and receive personal benefit from it, and then when he needed help at the end, they discarded him like a piece of trash. And he was stripped of everything that he once knew. There is no mention of friends spending money to be able to help him. In his dire situation, he was stripped of his finances, he was stripped of his friends, he was even so poor that he was stripped from having a decent meal, the food was gone. It says he feigned, he would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Quite literally, the young man had gone from having any food he could have ever wanted, and now he has no food. Thought about making this another frame, but I choose not to. If we were to put another frame right next to this one, or perhaps a description of it, we could say this, he was starving. And you know, maybe there are some young people who are here and, and you're in, you feel like you're in that kind of a situation where you're just, you've lost everything. You've made some foolish choices. You were selfish. And you feel that same way. Hang on. There's going to be some more portraits that we're going to look at. But maybe there are some who are sitting here and you're still in those first two portraits. Let me tell you this. There is going to come a time or your selfishness and the foolish choices, it'll lead you to the place where you are stripped of everything. And so God gives us this passage and multiple other instructions in Scripture to say, hey, pay attention. Don't make foolish choices. Be a person of wisdom and follow my instruction. Why? Because God wants what is best for your life. God doesn't want you to be stripped of the blessings that he has provided for you. Solomon would say the same thing. Solomon, in his later years, as he's writing Ecclesiastes, he says, you want to know something? I tried it all. He tried wealth, had a lot of money. He, had, he tried wine. He tried alcohol, thought that that would make him happy and bring him satisfaction. And he says it was empty, it was futile, it was worthless. He even tried work. He tried hard, diligent work, projects to have fulfillment in life and to satisfy him. That didn't do it. Women didn't do it. His wit, things that were humorous, they didn't do it for him. You go on and you find that even, and I title it this way, I call them weird things. <laughs> Solomon, as he was there, he collected things like exotic animals. He built cities and buildings, etc., things that some people look at and they would say, that is weird. None of that 
I was able to give him satisfaction. And there are some of you who God is wanting to give you satisfaction, but because of your selfish, foolish choices, you've stripped yourself of that. And if not, some of you are getting to that third frame. And so I would caution you, don't get to the point where you have to be stripped of those things. Don't allow yourself to get to the place where you take the good things that God has blessed you with and in your selfishness, in your simple, foolish choices, you waste the talent, the abilities, the education, the family, the background, the lives who have poured themselves into you. Don't waste those things. Years ago, our family was out in a church near Philadelphia, and a man came up to me after a service, and as we were just talking, he began to share his testimony with me. I enjoy hearing that, and so I asked him, hey, what's your testimony? And he was uh, somewhere around age 52, 53 at the time, and he began to share with me his testimony, and he began to share how for years he pursued his job to make money. Seemed like work was that which was going to bring him satisfaction, at least to a point, but then even work wasn't something that satisfied him. He was always looking for another project. He began uh, to have these deadlines that were placed upon him. Because of the stress of the extra uh, deadlines that were placed upon him, he began to drink. Not a lot at first, just a, a little bit to take the edge off, but he began to drink with some friends, and he found himself drinking more and more until even that didn't seem to help take the edge off. So another friend introduced him to to drugs, and so he began to use drugs to help deaden the pain and, and suffering that he was going through in his life. But none of those things ever seemed to really give satisfaction. His whole life at this point was in turmoil. And as he began to evaluate his life, he noticed that he hadn't really gained anything by his selfishness in pursuing those things like work, drinking, drugs, money even some relationships, and instead his pursuit of those things had stripped him of what he truly desired. You see, along that pathway, what he didn't mention and what I didn't mention to you yet was this, his wife separated from him because of his drinking that led to abuse in the marriage relationship. His children, as they were teenagers and even as adults, they wanted to get out of the house. They didn't want to talk with him. They didn't want to have a relationship with him. His health at this point in time, when I was talking to him, it was in great danger. His strength was minimal, and he ended up even losing that job that he had worked so hard for to keep. All that was important to him was now stripped away, but then, that phrase, but then, is important. But then, a neighbor showed this man the compassion of Christ, and he used that compassion, that demonstration of the love of Christ by helping this, young, or helping this man to help him to understand what it meant to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so he began to share the gospel with him, and he said, Preacher, I finally found what I was looking for, and no one can take that away. I found satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is enough. But in our selfishness and in our insanity, young person, it will lead us, if we don't find our satisfaction in Jesus Christ, it'll lead us to try and find it in others. And sometimes God has to take all of those things and strip them away to cause us to turn to Jesus Christ and find our satisfaction in Him. Can I ask you this question this morning? You're a young lady, you're a young man, you're an adult. What is it that you're holding on to right now that God is saying, let go of? That's not going to satisfy you. 
Let go of that relationship. Let go of that desire for money. Let go of that dream, ambition, and goal that you have and submit to my plan in your life, but you're going to continue to be selfish. You're going to continue to make stupid choices. There's a warning that's given to us here in this third picture of the prodigal, and he says this, listen, don't get to the point where God chooses to strip and take all of that away from you to get your attention. We get to frame number four in this portrait gallery, and we see in verse 17, uh, the next portrait, we see in verse 17, it says this, and when he came to himself, frame number four, we could entitle it this way, he was stunned. The phrase came to himself has the idea of this. He began to look around, and he started to think straight. If you were from around where I grew up in Pennsylvania, we could say this. He got his head screwed on right. He wasn't thinking well. wasn't thinking in the right way. But now as he looks around and he sees that everything he was looking for that was going to bring him happiness, he looks around and he says, you want to know something? I don't have anything left. And he becomes, or he begins to become to grips with reality. I think he realized, I've made a huge mistake. Man, did I mess up. And he comes to himself, and I think he realized he squandered his future away before he really even had the time to understand what a privilege it was to be part of his father's household. I think he realized he blew it. And as he did, he begins to reflect on his father's love. I think he realized his father loved him. He provided for him. He protected him. His father was even willing to provide abundantly for his servants. So this prodigal begins to strategize. And the first part of his strategy is humility. As he is willing to go back to his father and confess his foolish choices, his selfishness. He was willing to confess that his own way had led him to destruction. And so he says, I will go to my father. I don't even want to be returned to sonhood. I'm going to tell him I'm willing to be his servant. So he goes back to his living quarters where the pigs were living, back to the pigsty. And he starts to pack up his bags, which he realizes, I don't have bags anymore. I don't have clothes to put in them. I don't have any extra shoes. I don't have anything. That's right. I wasted it all. I was stripped of it all. And so he doesn't have anything to pack, but he begins his long walk home. Can you imagine the difference between his journey to the far country and the journey back home from the far country? I mean, consider this. He left with abundance, possibly so much he couldn't even carry it. Maybe there were servants that his dad provided, or maybe because he had so much at that time, he paid servants to go with him. But along the way, he couldn't afford to pay those servants anymore, and so the servants are gone. He left with abundance. Now he's returning with empty pockets, if he even has pockets. We see he leaves clean and clothed. Now he's returning dirty, destitute. He left with a confidence head held high. Now he's returning in humility, lowly and ashamed. You can only imagine that trip as he's walking back, his head is bowed, looking at the ground, maybe kicking a rock along the way, left thinking he didn't need his father. Now he's returning, he realize, and he realizes he needs his father more than ever. Please listen to me. When God brings us to this point, we can respond in one of two ways. We can respond, first of all, in pride. 
We can keep on going our own way. And this young man could have done that. He could have kept trying to pull himself up by his bootstraps. I'm not going back to dad. I'm not going to admit that I did anything wrong. I'm not going to admit that I was selfish, that I made foolish choices. Not a chance. Yeah, I may have lost everything, but I'll die first before I go back. Lots of people do it. Lots of people encourage others to do it. But this young man chose not to respond in pride. He chose to respond with humility. Where we can come to our Heavenly Father and we can confess and we can repent and we can return to our God. And that's what this young man does. He begins to return to his Father. And young person, it's your response that is going to make all the difference in the world in this gallery of the portrait of the prodigal, wherever you see yourself up to this point. If you're being selfish, if you're making foolish choices, tonight God would say this, wake up. Wake up to where you are. Realize you're wasting it. Don't get to the point where you've wasted it all. Don't respond in pride. God hates pride. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 17, these six things that the Lord hates, seven are an abomination. God hates pride. I could stand up here and tell you how much God hates pride. Our I mentioned uh, to someone that uh, I have the opportunity of, of coaching a basketball team back home in Pennsylvania, and uh, it's a girls' team, and we had played a team, and when we were done, we, uh, we, the girls had gone up, and they, they were changing, and there was just a thin wall, uh, one of those accordion kind of walls between the two changing rooms, and uh, I was down watching. The boys were getting ready to play, and uh, one of the girls came down, my daughter, she came down and said, Dad! We can hear what the coach was saying after the game. Do you want to know what he said? And I'm like, sure, yeah, you know, I want to know what he said. Well, they, they said that we really worked hard, that even though they lost, they kept fighting until the end of the game. Dad, wasn't that good? Yeah, that was really good. And then Daddy said something about you. I'm like, oh, yeah? What did he say about me as the coach? She said, Dad, he said you were prideful. I said, he said, What? And I got up off of that bench. I walked over to that coach, and I said, hey, coach, you think I... No, I didn't do that, okay? (laughs) You know what I did? I looked at my daughter, and I said, you want to know something, honey? He's right. Your dad struggles with pride. And it doesn't matter if it's on the basketball court. It doesn't matter if it's on the volleyball court. It doesn't matter if it's on the soccer field. It doesn't matter if I'm at home with your mom. It doesn't matter if I'm at home with you guys. Your dad... Struggles with pride. And honey, God hates pride. Young person, could I encourage you tonight, if you are on this pathway and you find yourself in these first three portraits of the prodigal, please don't respond in pride. God hates that. God hates it when we respond in pride. But instead, God says this, he gives grace to the humble. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, He giveth more grace, wherefore, God, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. We need to respond in humility. I wonder if you're on this pathway of the prodigal, how are you going to respond? Some of you already, you're sitting here, and you're just like, I'm not going to admit I'm selfish. No way! God hates your pride. I'm not going to admit that I made some stupid choices this last summer. Maybe even this semester, your dorm soup or someone else is going to have to call you out on something. You say, I'm not going to admit that because you're prideful. God hates pride. So maybe tonight God would use this to say, hey, let me get your attention. I don't want you to be selfish. I don't want you to be stripped of everything. Come to the point where 
you begin to think and reason the way God does come to the senses, come to your senses and the wisdom that God gives to us in his word. The final frame that we're going to look at tonight is given to us in verse 20. Verse 20, it says this, and he arose and came to his father. Notice these words, but when he was yet a great, a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Notice verse 22, it says this as well, starts off with these three words, but the father. Final portrait that we're going to look at tonight or frame in this gallery is this. He was stopped, and I add to this one, he is stopped and restored. Can you picture this? I've already kind of given you that picture of this man as he's walking home, and, or this boy as he's walking home. I'm sure he's tired, he's dirty, he's smelly from feeding the swine and he, even living with them. Perhaps his mind is racing as to what's going to happen when he gets home. Will dad even let me back in the gate? Will dad let me in the house? Will dad have me uh, taken even as one of his stir- servants? Is God going to have me because of the way I disrespected him? Is he going to have me taken out and stoned? And while all of this is running through his mind and he's kicking that rock down the road, all of a sudden he feels these arms and somebody run up to him and bump into him and his arms come wrapping around him and it's his dad weeping and crying because his son has come home. And he's shocked. He's surprised. He's stopped. And he's restored by his father. Of all things, his father comes running, falling on his neck, begins to kiss him and the boy immediately goes into his speech that he's rehearsed. Father, I sinned against heaven and against thee, and automatically the father interjects again. Then he let him get through his speech, and he begins to call for his servants. He starts giving these orders. Hey, give my son the best robe which was reserved for special guests who came to visit the house. Put that ring of sonship back on his finger that identifies him not as one of my servants, but as one of my sons. The boy has given new shoes oftentimes a comfort that was only reserved for those in the family. The boy is given a feast, a great celebration, because of his return is taking place. All of this loud and clear is a declaration that forgiveness has been granted and the relationship has been restored. I'm going to ask you to hone in on this. I mentioned this this morning. Middle daughter, Caitlin, she reminded me it was her that said this, Daddy, look at me. If I could, I would take every one of you and say, listen to me. Look at me right now, because there's an important truth I want you to remember. God is always ready to forgive. In fact, God is often more ready to forgive than you and I are willing to come and be forgiven by him. And there are some who are holding on to your sin right now so much in your selfishness and in your foolishness you're rejecting the forgiveness and the love and the restoration that God wants to give to you. In fact, there are some who are sitting here. You're so selfish that you're not willing to admit that you still need Christ because you've been putting on a show. And you're worried about your image. You're worried about what will people think. What will mom and dad say if I were to talk to someone and, and truly trust Jesus Christ as my Savior? I've got to keep the image up. Don't be foolish. Sin, pride, leads us to do foolish things. And I can tell you right now, there are millions of people who are in hell right now who said, I wish I wouldn't have been foolish. Why was I so prideful? Why didn't I just talk with someone? Why didn't I just call out to Jesus Christ and ask him to be my Savior? But pride 
cause them to be foolish. Young person, it doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter your age group. doesn't matter your position. doesn't matter what grade. doesn't matter your GPA. doesn't matter your background, as was already mentioned tonight. Listen, God is ready to save you. But in humility, you've got to be willing to come to him and be forgiven and be restored. And his invitation to you tonight is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to be at war with God in your pride. You can be at peace with God. But you've got to make the choice to humble yourself and be restored in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we're told in John chapter 3 and verse 16? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you, that's me, believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. We are told in Romans 10 verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we are reminded of this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, that God is not slack. Concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to usward. That's you, that's me. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe tonight, God has brought you to a point where you realize your sin has caused you to do some stupid, foolish things. Your sin is stripping you of the wonderful gift of eternal life that God is offering to you. Maybe tonight God would use this to stun you, to get you come to your senses and say, you want to know something? I need to go to the Father tonight, and I need to ask him to forgive me of my sins because I want to be restored. I want to be saved. And I want to have a right relationship with the Father. In just a little while, we're going to close the service. And as we do, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus' invitation to come. You don't have to come to me, but I would encourage you. There will be some staff, some faculty here at the front, There will maybe be your dorm soup around that you'll be able to see. Listen, there is not a person here who, if you are ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is not a person here who knows Jesus Christ as your Savior who's going to mock, make fun of you, or belittle you. We will rejoice, just like this father did, in the fact that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight. But you've got to make that choice. Tonight I'm speaking to a majority of believers. And as we consider this portrait, this gallery of this prodigal, I wonder, were you willing to let the Holy Spirit reveal to you in an open and honest way of which frame you are? Some of you are just beginning this path in this portrait of the prodigal. You're in frame one where you're living life and it's all about you. Your goals, your ambitions, your life, you think the sun and the world and everything revolves around you. Give me. I'm entitled. I ought to have what I want. I can tell you now where we're going to see you later on this semester or later on at some point in time in your life, if that doesn't change, you're going to be in frame number two where you're going to start making some foolish choices. And those foolish choices, I can tell you this now, they're going to begin to strip you of things that that you think, ah, that's not important to me. But once you begin to see that they're getting stripped away and all these things that promise you satisfaction, joy, and happiness here that Satan is offering to you, they just continue to leave you disappointed, you hopefully maybe even before you're stripped of those things, you'll come to your senses and say, you want to know something? God truly does want what is best for my life. And realize this, regardless of where we are in those first four frames of this portrait of the prodigal in this gallery, all of us need to be willing when we find ourselves in one of those four frames to come back and be willing to be stopped by God, forgiven by God, 
and restored to a right relationship with him. We've seen this portrait of a prodigal. I wonder, what frame are you going to be in when you walk out of this room tonight? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to look at your word. Lord, I thank you for this challenge in scripture. Thank you for how many times you've used these truths in my own life. God, I pray that you would help these young people in this room tonight to be willing to take the warning from Scripture to not go down this path of the prodigal. Lord, there are some who are here tonight who are being selfish. They're making some pretty foolish choices. Some here have already even started to taste of what it's like to have those things stripped out of their lives, and yet they continue to hold on to those things because they're stubborn. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work of conviction in their life tonight that I am not able to do. And Father, they would be willing to humble themselves. Help us not to leave this place tonight in pride, but instead we would humble ourselves before you, confess those things before you, so that we might have mercy from you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you're here tonight. I'm going to ask Mr. Wright, if you would, to go ahead and begin playing through the song softly and tenderly. As he plays through this song, young person, I want you to know, I already said this, that God is often more willing to, not often, God is always more willing to forgive us than we are often willing to be forgiven. Maybe you're here this evening and you would say, you know, when you were talking about one of those frames of selfishness, of stupidity, maybe even being stripped, maybe God used this to stun you tonight. You say, you want to know something? I'm starting on that path of the prodigal. I don't want to keep going that way. The altar is open and available for you here at the front. Maybe you'd like to talk to a counselor. Maybe you'd like to talk to a staff member. There's not a one of them who, if you were to come and tap them on the shoulder, who would deny you the opportunity for them to be able to pray with you, be able to talk with you, to take you to this truth from Scripture and help you with that matter that you're struggling with tonight. And it all comes down to this. Are you going to walk out of this place understanding where you are in your relationship with God and be prideful Are you going to be willing to humbly submit to where you are in your relationship with God? You're here tonight. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ is giving that invitation. Won't you come home? Won't you come to him? Ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. As Peter continues to play, I'm going to give you the opportunity to sit there and consider. And again, I would encourage you, if you're here tonight... Say, oh, I'll I'll make that decision later. I'll talk to a professor tomorrow. I can guarantee you, almost guarantee you, that it won't happen. Your selfishness will begin to creep into your heart and your mind again. What will people think of me? Pride often gets the better of us. Don't let that happen tonight. The altar is here. There's room in the back. There are folks in the back who'd love to be able to talk with you. Give you an opportunity to pray and consider what ought your response be to God tonight as we've looked at the portraits of the prodigal.
Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to look into your word tonight. Lord, I thank you for truths that you share with us. I thank you that you love us enough that you give us warnings like this in the scriptures, not just here in Luke 15, but so many other places. Father, I ask that you would do a work in hearts and lives tonight. I thank you for, again, how how you have used this in my own life, to caution, to warn me. God, I pray that you would use this in the lives of these students, that you would use it even in the lives of staff and faculty. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to find ourselves going down this path of the prodigal as we see ourselves in those few first frames of selfishness and foolish choices that we would be willing to come to you as you do a work in our hearts, that we'd be willing to humble ourselves before you, asking for forgiveness and cleansing, knowing that you are so ready to forgive and cleanse. Thank you, Father, for your mercy that you show us each day. Father, we ask for your blessing now as we are dismissed. Help us to go away from this place, challenged and changed. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior. Amen.